Whitney. I'm Danielle. And we are the founders of Sakara Life, on a mission to nourish your body and transform your life. Sakara is a Sanskrit word that describes the action of turning your thoughts into things and manifesting your reality. We believe that who we surround ourselves with, what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, the information that we take in, impacts the way we think and therefore who we are. The conversations that follow are with bold thinkers who have had an impact on how we view the world, ourselves, and what it means to live the Saqqara life. The intention of these conversations is to push each of us to greater heights so that we can turn our thoughts into things and all shine our light a little brighter. We are so excited to be on this journey with you. Welcome to the Saqqara life. Also, please note we are recording from our homes via Zoom, so please forgive us for any sound issues. Today, we have Jaya Ma on the Sakara Life podcast. She is an award-winning sexologist and best-selling author of Red Hot Touch, Cuffed and Tied and Satisfied. She's also the creator of the Erotic Blueprint Breakthrough and the Erotic Blueprint Quiz that focuses on helping people uncover their specific erotic language of turn-on, allowing for a deeper, more intimate relationship with themselves and their partners. Her workshops and events focus on helping men, women, and couples build intimacy and create the sex lives they desire. All right, Jaya, thank you so much for being here with me today. Mm, It's my great, great pleasure. So grateful to have you. We like to start off with the question around mission. So what is your mission here on earth? Why do you believe that you're here? What are you here to share and gift to all of us? I believe that my mission is about raising consciousness around sexuality and pleasure on our planet. I think we spend way too much time like work, work, go, go, do, do, do. And we don't value rest, play, pleasure, And then on top of that, we've got all the stuff just between the sexes, between, I mean, there's a whole spectrum of gender, but something that I'm seeing come up in my practice a lot right now is just the wounds of Mm. conditioning from the culture around our sexuality, and then the wounds between men and women, and the men with their mother, or women with how our culture has treated us, and literally had... A lover come to me and say, I'm so sorry for the, you know, 7,000 years of harm that's been done to the feminine. And he was just weeping. And, And so it's this healing that I feel like I'm here to transmute the trauma, the misunderstanding, the separation, and the cultural conditioning into an elevation of consciousness so that we awaken into the truth of who we really are. That's powerful. And I have to say, I think you're doing a great job (laughs) because (laughs) yeah, even just the way you've chosen to not just live your life, but then share it and put it out, I think is just raising consciousness in general, just by, by being you and you listening to your heart and following that. I think for so many people, that aren't living the life that you're living and and leaning into pleasure the way that you are, it can seem really intimidating. And so I guess I'd love to just kind of hear in your words, 
like what kind of take you have on sexuality and partnership in general and how you got to that? Like, did you feel like, you know, from a young age, you were really clear on what you wanted as a, as a sexual being, or was that something that you blossomed into? So I, I believe that it's a journey, right? It's like, yes, I started at a very early age. People will ask me the question, how did you get to be where you are today? Like uh, in pleasure and orgasm and all, all the fun things that come along with that and relating. And it was a journey that I was very interested in from a very early age. Somewhere I must have seen Dr. Ruth. And <laughs> yeah. I told my parents that that's what I wanted to be when I grew up was I wanted to teach like I wanted to be a singer too. So those two things, so it was like, I want to be a singer and I want to be like a sexologist. I want to help people with their sex lives. And I started studying, like by the time I was 19, I had already had like a lot of stuff under my belt in terms of like sexual freedom and what did it mean in my own body and how to pleasure myself and how to, I would spend time at night. This is a really interesting, like, I was Catholic growing up. And so I would spend time at night, like praying to God and I didn't see like this rift between spirituality and sexuality. It was like mm. God was part of my body being ecstatic. So that was like in my late teens, I already was cultivating and like studying Tantra and studying some of the like Taoist sexuality and, and just some of these ideas around sexuality that were about sex and spirit being one and the same. So that was an early influence in the journey for me, it's more about like, how are we peeling back the layers of what we've been conditioned or told about who we are as erotic beings, who we are based on gender, who we are, like, what is our true essence and identity when we start to peel back all the things we've been told, you know? Yeah, like, try to like, even schools, imagine. Good girls don't, you know, keep right. your legs closed, keep your skirt right. below your knees, you know, God is watching. <laughs> like, and like, even, oh. even sex education is so scary. Like I remember in school, the only thing you learn as a woman is not to have sex. And if you do, you could get a really scary disease or end up pregnant. Right. Like, that's all you learn. Right, right. Nobody else yeah. had any other conversations with me as a young woman. I'll ask audiences all over the world, like everywhere I go, sometimes I'll have like a couple thousand people in the audience and I'll say, who here had a great sex education? Like who here got, and there'll be maybe like one or two people, you know, who will raise their hand. And then I'll say, how many of you didn't get a sex education? Almost everyone raises their hand. And I make the argument that you did get a sex education. Right. It was the education of... It's just a, a bad one. A bad one, right? Yeah. My, my dad used to say, don't get swell-bellied. You know, don't be one of those girls. Don't be, wow. you know, like that's witchy or that's, you know, like wrong. And so you get those messages early on that your body's not okay. Like in certain parts of your body are dirty, you know, don't touch that or don't show that or any of those things. They're all messages. It's like, this is my nose. This is my ear, but don't touch down there. Right. So, it's so crazy. It have you so ever, crazy. have you ever read the book, um, Women on Top. I haven't, no. Nancy Friday. Oh, yeah. Um, I knew Nancy Friday, though. The Secret Garden was one of my favorites. Okay. I haven't read her other stuff, um, but I knew I was going to be talking to you today. So I just picked up her book and I had never read the intro, but I find her book so amazing because it's basically this, this book, Women on Top, is 
an, a compilation of hundreds, maybe thousands of uh, women's fantasies. And in the beginning, she talks about that her main mission with this book was to really give women permission that, you know, if we, if we do learn that sex, you know, can be dangerous, which, okay, maybe we can just say, yeah, sure. There, there are some dangers associated perhaps then the safest way to have sex is to masturbate. And yet nobody, no woman really feels not no woman, but very few women feel empowered in that space and she believes it's because we don't feel like we have permission and that we need permission to fantasize and masturbate and lean into that pleasure. How do you think that we got to this place where, where even something like masturbation that's just a relationship with ourselves is so taboo? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. And I, I want to say something about permission and then I'll, I'll go to yeah. that. One of the reasons why I do what I do, and you made me think about it earlier, is, is because I want to show people what's possible. Mm. It's like there's no pressure to experience what I experience. There's no pressure to be like me. You, be, you do you. You be your erotic self. And yet I want to show you what is possible in this instrument, this amazing instrument that we have of a body. And by showing that, by demonstrating that, by living that, that I feel like is a great gift. So for any woman who's out there who can give permission to another woman mm-hmm. you know, who's listening right now, who's like, you know what, I'm going to start living and, and what that means and who I am and, and go on that journey. And then that gives other women permission. And then we have like this whole world that gets lit up. It's like one torch lights, another torch lights, another torch. And we have this whole world of turned on radiant alive women, you know, and men, because when we're radiant and alive, it lights them up too, you know, when we heal in here. Totally. And talk about stepping into your power. Yeah. And maybe as a tag along to my earlier question about how did we get here is I think oftentimes it's what you're speaking to of you do you like that sounds great, but how did you find you? How did you find you know, what you wanted to experience in this life. Yeah. I know those are two really big questions that we could probably spend the next hour on, but. (laughs) It was, it was going in. I'm not going to find me out here. One Mm -hmm. of the things that happened a few years ago for me was I kept looking for the answer outside, right? The success I created a successful seven-figure business. I had the house that I wanted. I had the life. I had the kid. I had the partner. Like all the things that you want to check off. I can travel anywhere in the world. I eat amazing, glorious food. I have orgasms of every kind. You know, like everything was great. And there was still a feeling inside of me that was like something's still not right something, what is this thing that we chase and we chase and we chase and we look for like happy under this rock and happy under that rock. And, and it is coming back to yourself, but it's not the self that you think you are. That's the, it's like this paradoxical thing of, well, I'm not the mom. I'm not, yes, that that's part of what makes up this, but who and what I am is a, it's an inside journey of getting still. Maybe it's, if anybody can find it in any way, any moment, you know, sometimes it's like a rooftop in New York City looking at the stars and you find it. 
and then you discover there was nothing to find. <laughs> right. So, so it's this like all you can do is laugh because who who and what we are is so so much more than these limited definitions, and that can be through meditation, through extreme sports, through plant medicines, through healing trauma, all of these peeling backs of everything that we're not to uncover the essence of who we are as an individual, which individual means undivided, and who we are, what we are as a collective. I can imagine, I remember the transformation from maiden to mother and and what that meant to me. And even though I was so excited to become a mother, I had this mourning period of, of what it meant to just leave a chapter of my life. And, you know, it ended up being a, a really beautiful process that I'm now very grateful for. But in that example, I was an adult. And so the idea of, you know, you've said a couple times peeling back, which I really feel is true. It really is the, the, the practice of peeling back. And as an adult, I feel like I can recognize those things I have to peel back. But there are stories in me. There are belief systems in me that I, I don't even know are peelable. <laughs> you know, I guess like it's like being with yourself. But also, I think one of the really important things that you represent is this kind of rogue, wild lifestyle compared to so many of us out there. And when you said part of your mission is helping people show, show people what's possible, it's really true. Just by kind of doing what you're doing, it is showing what's possible that we don't have to lean into these norms. And these norms that even me, myself, I'm leaning into, you know, I was raised by a single mother who had me when she was 40. So she was born in, in the 40s and she was raised with the belief that you wait until you're married to have sex. Sex isn't really about pleasure for you. It's about keeping and pleasing your man. And even though I am so different from my mother and have made a lot of different decisions, there's still so much in me that is from her belief system. And so even to start to recognize like what you can peel back and how you can do it is really difficult. Yeah. And then what you're speaking to is the generational that gets carried down. It yes. actually gets carried down in our DNA. So like the trauma, the learnings of our parents, the learnings of their parents, that gets carried on. Right. And so we have the cultural traumas around sexuality and cultural belief systems. We have our genetic belief systems, our ancestry, and you know, most people can't deal with the first two ancestors, <laughs> your mom and dad, let alone. Totally. It, <laughs> supposedly, it goes back 14 generations, according to new research. Wow. So 14 generations of your ancestry are in your DNA. What were their belief systems around sexuality? What were their traumas? And you asked about, like, where does all this come from? And if we look, there's a book by Joseph Campbell, I'm a Joseph Campbell fan, um, called Goddess. And he talks about matriarchal societies and that shift from matriarchy and nomadic life. And then we, you know, we have farming, agriculture, ownership suddenly. And then also the, the conquering of those cultures, there wasn't money exchanged. It was you get to own the woman as property now exchange. Rape wow. came from this shift 
that happened about 7,000 years ago. So now we've got that shift in the way women are treated and the shift of power dynamic and how power plays into it. I mean, there's just so much. And then we've got then the Victorian era, you know, we've got the inquisition, right? How no, is it safe for us to have a voice or be sexual or be wild or be earth or, you know, like all of these things that make up the feminine and the woman and, of course it's not safe. And then we've got trauma raising boys and then what it means to be a man and gender dynamics and assigned gender. I mean, there's so much that gets wrapped up in, and then there's the mix between sex and love and relationship. And that, and I see that all twangled up, you know, yeah. what is it? I need to be in love in order to have sex or I, I need to separate out love and lust. I can mm. love someone who's like the angel mother wife. That's the Victorian era, but I can lust after the horror prostitute archetype. Women right. weren't even allowed the mothers and wives weren't allowed in libraries, but prostitutes were. So they were the educated wom women. <laughs> like what's that dynamic that we've set up? You know, I have chills just talking about it. And then, yeah. and then with the inquisition and the tortures that were done, especially to, those of us who are of European descent. And then we've got colonization for those of us who are more minority, you know, indigenous or African, like those. So we've got to look at all the bloodlines in terms of like the peel back isn't just this. Right. <laughs> the peel back is centuries of the cultural conditioning of sex being bad, wrong, okay for people of the gender cishet men, you know, that's okay. Th these things are acceptable. These things are not acceptable because sex has to do with power. Yeah. And I, I think what you're saying is so interesting. And I just want to call out that the peeling back is not just of ideals that we believe might be air quotes bad or, or not helping us. It's also the ones that we think are, are great. One of my questions that I have down here for you is about romance. Like in kind of a, a general understanding of it, it, it belongs to monogamy in a lot of ways. It belongs to the idea that you, you have one person and maybe that's just for a period of time, but my understanding of it at least is, is wrapped up in monogamy. And so what are, what are your thoughts on, on romance? And can you speak to, you said that, you know, love and sex and relationships were kind of all intertwined in a way that isn't necessary. Can you kind of tease that out a little too? Yeah. Great question. I love romance. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. Oh, you know, this whole thing is about who you are right? There's no right wrong in it. That's the thing I want to peel back, right? When it comes to romance, it's like, awesome, amazing. I love romance. Like, I love all the stories of romance. I like the notebook, you know? Like, <laughs> yes. Like, I love it. You know, and like, we, a lot of us grew up with fairy tales. And, but it's like, how is that affecting then you have to question, well, okay, what are those stories telling me about how I need to behave or how I need to be? And is that in alignment with how I want to be? And, and am I at choice or am I running a script of a fairy tale romance that isn't accurate to what life is? is? So I'm going to be continuously disappointed. I'm going to be continuously not in the relationship that I'm saying that I want to create 
and, and it's not that it's not creatable. It is. But there's a, a disappointment because you've been set up, you mm-hmm. know, to run a certain script or to run a certain way or to be attracted to certain things. I even question my own, like, why am I attracted to that thing? You know, right. how do I feel back that piece? So in peeling back like romance, the best way I can describe it is uh, I was once taught a medicine wheel. My mother is indigenous South American. And so I was taught this medicine wheel around sexuality that was really fascinating to have all the elements and to know the elements. So like fire is energy merging. It's when you and another merge energetically into the transformational fires where there's oneness, you become one. Then earth is about procreation. It's about like, how do we make more of our species? We're all a product of sex. Sex creates more life and we demonize it. Like that's so perplexing to me. Like that's how we're here is someone had sex and love and pleasure and a a sperm met an egg and made it explode into two and then four and then six. Like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And so, so earth is this procreative, but it's not just making babies. It's also our man of like, how do we create with sexual energy? Cre- sexual energy is life force. It is aliveness. Eroticism is this vitality and aliveness that we have. And then you have water sex, which is all about the pleasure and the romance and that yum. It just feels so good and, and it's juicy. And, mm. and then we have air, which is that romantic love. I'm walking on air. That feeling of like, oh, it's romantic love is so good, but it's being conscious. I'm in romantic love right now, which means there is a biochemical reaction happening in my body. That biochemical reaction is PEA, which you also get from eating cheese and chocolate, you know, which makes (laughs) you feel like you don't, you have no appetite because you're like, oh, I don't even need to eat right now. I don't need to sleep. Like it just feels so good. And oxytocin and love bonding chemical and Sarah, you're you're on drugs. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Romantic love is like a drug that creates bonding. It makes us want to bond with one another and your neurochemistry plays a role in all of this. So like I'm, I'm low in GABA or, and I'm low in serotonin. I'm higher in dopamine. Knowing this about myself, I'm going to want a lot of sexual partners. I don't, I might not, I might not have the bonding mechanism as much. So I might want to supplement with those things, but I have been in a relationship with my partner for 13 years. So I'll say I'm actually pretty good at bonding, but I also like to have lots of lovers, Uh you know? So it's like this, knowing your own neurochemistry and how are you playing a script based on your neurochemistry. So I did, yeah. so looking at that whole thing, then you can start to go, okay, wait a minute. What, what am I playing with? Where do I want to develop? If I've been very much in the romantic love area, maybe I want to develop in the pleasure area. And that's actually how I got pregnant. I was looking at my wheel and like, I spent a lot of time in the transformational aspect of sexuality, right? How do we utilize sexuality for our own awakening and mm-hmm. meditation and, sexual pleasure as a tool for enlightenment. And I spent a lot of time there in my late teens, early twenties. So sex was always for that. Like sex was for that energy merging, the transformational fires. Then I wanted to have a baby, but I was told I'd never have children. And I was like, well, how do I heal that? And I learned how pleasure plays a role in being able to get pregnant, but I'd never had sex for pleasure because of my Catholic upbringing. Right. It was like, I can't just have it for pleasure. That's how dare you. (laughs) You So when I reclaimed having sex for pleasure, that's when I got pregnant. 
go figure, you know? <laughs> oh, so interesting. And wh- why I can't help but feel, especially when you're talking about sex and that transformational part of the wheel, it's like, why has traditionally most religious belief systems, why do they typically keep you from experiencing sexual pleasure? At least, especially as it pertains to Christianity, which is, you know, how I grew up. How did sex become such a a thing that we're not even supposed to understand, much less really experience in pleasure? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's Is it like the most powerful place? And so they don't want the individuals there? It comes up with, it comes back to power. Mm. And so it's like this taboo of, it's a taboo of knowing who you are. It's a taboo because when you know who you are, you're no longer able to have someone have such power over you. The scripts don't have power over you. And so when you're in power and sexuality is one of those tools, sexuality being a sexually awake human is a powerful place. It's a power because you have your own agency. You have your own voice. You can say, no, right. I don't want that. You can say, no, I'm not doing that. And you can say, yes, oh my God, I love this. And so there's so many things that are in that taboo of knowing who you are that have to do with power. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything like that. It's just, this is what I've seen in sexuality, that as people awaken sexually, they are no longer willing to play the old roles. Mm. What do you typically find is the most common roadblock for women and then the most common roadblock for men in terms of experiencing sex and pleasure and stepping into one's own power in that realm? The roadblock, I think, for both is is trauma, unconscious Mm -hmm. trauma, and it gets stored in the body. And so we don't realize... So if I'm looking at all three things, right, sex, love, and relationship and relating, in sex, it'll show up in inability to have an orgasm, in not that there's anything wrong with you if you're not having orgasms. I don't want, like, one of my biggest messages is you are not broken. Mm. You just don't have education or you just haven't, like, moved through those things that, like, you talk about kind of blocks. I think of them less as blocks and more as parts that haven't been integrated. It forgot. So is your belief then that anyone can experience like ecstasy and and pleasure in its kind of most manifested form? Because when you, when you grow up and you take like those Cosmo quiz quizzes, (laughs) you know, it's like, I remember doing that as a child and it's like, you're this type or that type. And I want to get into your erotic blueprint because it's so much more freeing than anything else. But I remember like being put in these buckets or there'd be articles of like, you know, not most women don't have orgasms and that's okay. And you, there was no education around actually it's okay that that's where you're there, but every woman, every human is entitled to, to pleasure. I think we are the ecstasy. So it's not, we're chasing ecstasy. Yes. There, we can go into ecstatic states of consciousness through pleasure, through orgasm, through dance, through music, through drum, through breath work. Like there's so many food, you know, like mm-hmm. an amazing, like gourmet, amazing meal, you know, healthy foods for our bodies. But this idea that we're separate from 
it. I just want to switch a couple things. Like we are it. You know, if we peel back all the layers, we are we are unconditional love. We are ecstasy. We are orgasmic. The universe is an orgasmic. Everything is orgasm. <laughs> like there's no separation. Right. So it's a little bit of a shift of frame instead of something out there that I'm trying to get. It's that I already am. I just have to remember or peel back the things that are not that. It's so interesting because it makes me think about just Whitney and I started this company 10 years ago and there was lots of people talking about, you know, health and meditation and all that, but it wasn't in the mainstream consciousness yet. And as grateful as I am that now it started to move into the greater consciousness. I also think that there's kind of like a dangerous trendiness to it that I really hope the world navigates away from so that this just becomes kind of new normal instead of trendy. And one of those things is, you know, there's certainly lots around food, too many to even name, but there's also some of that around meditation and this idea that, you know, you need to go sit and have quiet time and quiet your thoughts. And I love what you're saying because it makes me remember the importance of that quiet time, not just so I can then come back to life and like deal with stressful moments and whatever in a good way, but also so I can really start to remember that oneness. Like that's really the goal. I think sometimes in this kind of wellness era, we forget what the main goal of some of these wellness rituals actually are. It's not to just have a longer to-do list, right? Or one more thing to do. It's, it's actually seeking that higher meaning and higher why yes. that drives us. Yes. And it, it comes back to, you said something earlier, you know, around the love, romance, sex, and kind of that twangle. Sex it's like, I was just saying to someone the other day, I'm just having sex so that I can remember who I am. <laughs> so let's just remember who I am. Like, like none of this is actually needed, but it's fun. So coming back to the romance piece or the sex piece or the relationship piece, what's fun? Like, what's the game that you want to play? We're here in life to enjoy all of this amazingness. So what is the game you want to play? In romance, are you playing it unconsciously to get love because you forgot that you already are it? Right. You know, in success, are you doing it to win and crush it to get freedom? Because, you, but you forgot that you already are free. In sexual relationship, you know, are you relating to another because you're trying to remember that you're already are? Like you created the separation to know yourself, to have that reflection. Oh, well, I could already, once I remember myself, there's no need to grab, to have it, to like, be compulsive about any of this. Now it's just, oh my God, I have this physical body. It has all these nerve endings. It feels good. I'm so glad that there's another to play with and bump into and have sex with and enjoy and make out and play romantic games. But it's being conscious that I'm doing it. Right. And it's, it's also tying everything together in so much that wherever we are, there we are. And so we might as well make it the most pleasurable, fun experience. And remembering that we get to decide that. Like what you're, what you're, the theme that keeps coming back to me as you're speaking is finding your voice, you know, cause otherwise I, I have you read the, I don't remember her name, Polly something, but it's uh, women and desire beyond wanting to be wanted. 
it's one of my favorite books because she, she talks about much of what you mentioned about kind of the history of women and desire, but how one of the greatest things that gets in our way is actually that what turns us on as women most often is wanting to be wanted. And not that that's inherently a bad thing, but it makes you the victim of somebody else's feelings versus being in the driver's seat of going out and getting what you want. And so it's this really interesting, it, it's just, it made me, I read it maybe like 10 years ago and I, it, it sticks with me all the time because that manifests in so many other areas of life of needing the accolade or needing whatever it is, but especially around sex, do you find that, that so many women are caught up in wanting to be wanted instead of really knowing just without another human around what it is that they desire. Yeah. It's one of the big ones. A lot of women also want partners to mind read what they want. Right. They want to be wanted and then they want their partner to know exactly what they want <laughs> yeah. without saying about what they want because they themselves don't know what they want. So it's kind of this very strange. Right. It's like, figure me out and that's your job. Yeah. But I don't <laughs> even know. Totally. Yeah. Because so I haven't figured I myself out. So I need you to do it for me. That sounds familiar. And now for a quick break. I'm so excited to tell you a bit more about an exciting campaign we're launching this month. From February 8th to February 28th, when you purchase a Metabolism Super Powder subscription, you'll receive exclusive access to amazing content from Kama, a sexual wellness app, and a special gift from Foria. You'll also receive a ton of educational content around the female libido, new exclusive Metabolism Super Powder recipes, and so much more. If you're interested in participating in this special offer, for a limited time, we are gifting you $15 off your first purchase of our best-selling Metabolism Super Powder. Simply go to sakara.com forward slash MSP at checkout and use the code PODCAST15. That's S-A-K-A-R-A dot com forward slash MSP, like Metabolism Super Powder. And enter podcast 15 at checkout for $15 off your first purchase. So one of the, one of the, the you mentioned the blueprints earlier. Um, the yeah. So one of the main tools that I developed, there's a couple of different games that you can play, but know thyself is a path to your sexual awakening. It's like know who you are as an erotic being at least in this moment in time, in this snippet in time, who are you as an erotic being? And so we created a typing system to help people know, not just from their heads, because this is the issue. We try to figure out from here, but you've got all your scripts and your stuff that you can't even see that's going, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, now come to the body. And I, I remember a workshop I was teaching where I was doing a, a demo on someone on their body and she said, nothing comes to mind. And I said, well, what comes to body? Mm. In that moment, she dropped in and, and then she was able to say like what she wanted, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing comes to mind that I want, but what comes to your body? What does your body want? Your body is a sexual, this whole thing is a sexual organ. So is your right. mind. And, and yet we ignore parts of this as sexual, you know, like our bones are sexual, our 
organs can be like all of it is a sexual being. Mm. And so we play these games and then we have these types. Do you want me to go into them? Yeah, please. Please do. Yeah. The first type, anybody who's listening, you may hear yourself in this. So the first type is someone who's turned on by teeth, anticipation, space, longing. You like to yearn. Oh my gosh, I love this one. Like I have, I have people who I just yearn for. Like I'll dream about them at night. You know, like, mm. I'm, like unrequited love. That's my favorite romance story. <laughs> yes. The unrequited love, you know, the, the unattainable, but I'm always wanting it. And then I might get a glimpse that I might have it. And then it goes away, you know, like that whole thing. Um, or if you've ever like been kissing someone and you're not kissing yet and it's like the moments before you're about to kiss and it's like all those feelings and your body and the electricity and the butterflies and, and then you kiss and it's kind of like, oh, you might be this type. So it's called an energetic uh-huh. and you're turned on by the space and the energy play more than anything else. And more than the actual act. Perhaps. More than the actual like physical touching, which is hard for a lot of people to understand. It's like what? Sex means, you know, I'm touching your genitals or I'm playing with your right. breath or we're kissing, we're making out. No, no. Like sex can be super hot. Like I can have orgasms galore with and never be touched, you know, across the room. My lover could look at me in the right way. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> amazing. So, so the superpower of the energetic is orgasms without being touched. Um, multi-dimensional orgasms. Like we can get into quantum like sex and playing in quantum fields and, diminishing space and time into time space instead of space time like it gets wild and fun and amazing like you're making love to the universe you know wow like the universe is your lover which is you so it's all self-pleasure everything everything it's living in that oneness (laughs) (laughs) on the shadow side of the energetic a lot of times energetics have trauma in their history that makes their nervous system very sensitive, which is why they can feel so much. It's a superpower that they can feel so much. They're so sensitive, but it can also be a, like they'll short circuit if it's too much, too quick, too fast. Like if you go straight for the clitoris, too much, too quick, too fast, they're going to go and they're going to short circuit. So an example of this would be if you're making love and then all of a sudden all the arousal goes away because it's like too fast or too quick. Something's going on. That's like too physical you just kind of zone out. And then a lot of energetics don't speak up. They either dissociate from their body in order to keep going or they get kind of a little bit in their head and don't, they just don't say anything. They just kind of like lay there or, or mm. they, they, they endure a lot. Interesting. Cause they say saying a boundary might hurt the other person. They don't want to hurt anyone. And they feel everything. They feel they're very empathic. So they'll feel everyone like, Oh, I might, I don't want to shame my partner. I don't, I like, I love everyone. So you know, it can have that flavor. And then the next one is like almost an opposite. So the sensual is someone who likes to collapse all the space and they want all their senses being ignited. So it's food, smell, taste. They bring the beauty to the environment. So like when I developed my sensual, I bought a bunch of furry, yummy things. (laughs) (laughs) So having all of that was a way for me to expand into more of the sensual blueprint. My partner, Ian, is very sensual. Like, I, we met dancing with no words, like just our bodies doing contact improvisational dance. And it was just like delicious to fall into him. Mm. So the superpower of the sensual is that they can have non-genital orgasms. So you can have orgasms anywhere in your body. You could also have like foodgasm, like a 
beautiful piece of chocolate, you know, that's just like, oh, they'll moan, they'll, they'll touch their hair, their clothes a lot. One of my best friends is definitely this one. <laughs> Romance is also very key in their sexuality. Mm-hmm. So whereas like an energetic could have no romance. Right. Other than right. the story of maybe the unrequited love. But, right, the leading up to, but yeah. Yes, yes. Right. but like Notebook is a quintessential, like sensual. Right. I mentioned that a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> the swans and the boats and the rain. I love the- that movie so much. <laughs> I love context and story. Like, oh, I yeah. haven't seen in, you know, three years and now we're reunited and the music is swelling. <laughs> the shadow side of the sensual, however, is getting caught up in their head. They're glorious in their body, like all oh, this yum, 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 yum. And then if they start thinking about something that's left undone, it'll take them down a hole in my head rabbit hole. And then it's very difficult for them to get back sometimes into their body and to what's happening between their legs. It's like, I can't feel you between my legs because I forgot about the laundry, mm. the kids are crying, like, you know, there's too much distraction it's hard to focus. And so on that shadow side, it could be that as well as mess or, you know, my partner's bad breath or Mm. if we just took five minutes to clean up the bedroom, I can't concentrate when the bedroom's a mess. Those kinds of things are the shadow side of the sensual. Okay. And there are five total. Yeah. Five total. And I want to, yes, please. I want to, I, I loved this and I'd love to know at the end, after you go through each one, because you must have so much data now, which is so interesting. Just wondering what you find in terms of like where kind of we spike as humans, like where, where are most humans lying in, in the blueprint? Like which ones are most popular, which ones are rare, et cetera. Yeah, we have had about 300,000 people fill out the quiz. So we've been collecting all that data on gender and blueprints, relationship style and blueprints, just a lot of really interesting things. So a lot of, and then, you know, information can be skewed because maybe people who are attracted to coming to take a quiz like this might be certain types. So I just want to speak to that too. Like, interesting. Our audience tends to be people who, you know, are like your audience. So they're interested in health, yoga, meditation. So we're going to get a lot of energetics. Right. Interesting. But what's interesting is gender to me. A lot of people think all men are sexual. Like all men are going to be sexuals. And that's not true at all. Like it's very much across the board. That's the one that kind of we think of as, yeah, I guess you just said it. Like the the stereotypical man who just kind of needs to see sex or see something sexual and they're turned on. Stereotypical, cisgendered, heterosexual man. Like that's what we label them as. And that's Mm. not the truth in terms of what we've seen across the board with our, our quiz so far. And also just all the clients I've worked with over the last 20, you know, 25 years, it's like, that's not what I see. And I see a lot of people feel very misunderstood. Hmm. The sexual blueprint is, and I think also it's not, it hasn't been safe for women talking about the programming, those of us who are cis women to be sexual. Then we're a slut, we're a whore, we're the persecuted, right? We're the scarlet letter on our chest. Yeah. So the quiz actually shows, uh, again, I think it's more of a variety. Like we're more of a variety. And the blueprint shows where we're limited, where we've got cultural conditioning. And I'll go into that more when I get to the last one. So the sexual is someone who's turned on by what we think of as sex in our culture. 
nudity, penetration, penis and vagina sex, you know, like that kind of limited, I call it a limited definition of sex Mm. because we've got all these other blueprints, which is the shadow side of the sexual. Mm. It's that this is what successful sex looks like. This is what it's supposed to be. It's heteronormative. It's monogamous. It's, or, you know, it doesn't have to fall in that, but a lot of times the, the shadow is about this this is what it's supposed to look like. I have an erection, you're wet, you're moaning and writhing and going, ha, 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 you know? Yeah. Like, and then we climax and then we're all good, you know? <laughs> like, right. that's limited definition. So the sexual, the superpower of the sexual is that they can go from zero to 60 really quickly. Turn on is fast, sex is awesome. You know, it's not that they're simple. It's not that sexuals are simple It's or lack depth. They don't lack depth, but there is a ease, right? It's like, it's like pizza. You put the cheese, (laughs) it's good. What's wrong with everybody else? Yeah, it sounds great. I wish I were the sexual right now. (laughs) Simplify. Yeah. So, you know, orgasm, arousal, those things come easily. So there's an ease about it. And that's the superpower. I'm Mm. primary sexual or used Mm. to you know, before I developed the other blueprint. So I was primarily sexual. My partner was zero sexual on the quiz. And wow. he, he was highest in this next type, which is the kinky. And the kinky is someone who's turned on by the taboo. And there's different types of kinky. Um, just for time's sake, I'm not going to go into all of the different types of them. But basically, it's like, what's taboo for you? Then mm. becomes like the thing that's kinky for you. My partner loved constriction and ropes and playing and power dynamics and the psychological aspect of power play and it's not what we think of. We have to broaden our expansion of what we think of as kink. It's the taboo aspect. It's not about the activity. It's that it's taboo. That right. Makes- and it's so subjective to what you believe is taboo. It has nothing to do with cultural norms. Absolutely. So he's highest in kinky. I'm zero in kinky. I'm highest in sexual. He, he, he's zero in sexual. Like, are we doomed? You know, a lot of people would say that's sexually incompatible. I don't believe in sexual incompatibility necessarily in this model, just because all I had to do was learn kinky. All he had to do was expand into sexual. I I so want to get into that. Will you do the last blueprint? And then let's dive into that because I'm fascinated by your thoughts around like every person is sexually compatible. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to expand on that. So one thing about the kinky shadow, though, is shame. Deep shame because it's taboo. Mm. So because it's taboo, why am I like this? Why do I like this? I shouldn't fantasize about this. This isn't okay. My desires are bad, wrong, you know, all of that. The shapeshifter is the last one, and the shapeshifter is someone who's all of these. So if you heard yourself in all of them, it's most likely that you're a shapeshifter. Also, if you take the quiz and it's like you're 20% almost in all of them, you're probably a shapeshifter because it's like they're coming up pretty even. So the shapeshifter, someone who's turned on by all of it, has the orgasmic capacities and the superpowers of all of it, can also have the shadows of all of it. And the specific to the shapeshifter that's positive in the the superpower is that they can please pretty much anyone because they can shapeshift it to be anything. So they're like the greatest lover. So if you're a sensual, they can play sensual. And are they like in their empowered places they shapeshift? Is that like the meaning or is it when they move to sensual, they do it for someone else? Yeah. So that's the shadow side. Got it. They're the most starving because they're shapeshifting mm-hmm. for other people oftentimes because they can do it. 
and they're not being fed in all of the flavors and fullness and essence that they are. And so they starve. They also have been told oftentimes in their past, they're too much, they're too complex. You're not complex, too complex. You're just erotically sophisticated. Mm -hmm. I I have a theory. I haven't like tested this or studied this theory yet, but I have a theory that shapeshifters are our true essence in their full empowered self. Meaning like we're all shapeshifters? Like we're all shapeshifters. We're all, all of it. Right. But we've been conditioned or trauma or something has affected us in a certain way that has us be one type versus another. And then, and then eventually, you know, if we're going to look at like letting go of all of this and moving into oneness and awakening, it's integrating all these aspects and parts of ourselves back into the wholeness that we are. You just play paint with all the colors. Right. It's just a, a better toolbox. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when I was reading some of your work and especially around the blueprint, I understood it to mean it's kind of like finding the window into your sexuality. Like if you can, if you can know whoever you are right now, like what turns you on, what gets you there, that's a lot to share, I guess, even just with yourself, but also with a partner. And then it's also really nice to know the window or door into your partner's sexuality and kind of like what type they are. And so is, is that kind of the foundation of why you believe anyone is sexually compatible? Because we can always kind of, as shapeshifters, we can always get to know somebody else's desires and I guess fulfill that for them. And I know you have a story about how a, a lover of yours, you guys had very different blueprints and you were trying to turn them on and you, you said you were failing, I think, or you, <laughs> you felt like you were failing and then you just figured it out. I'd love for you to tell that story and then talk about that really important difference of leaning into maybe his erotic blueprint, but also from a place where it was still about pleasure for you. Like, how did you find that instead of it just feeling like, okay, I'll be a sensual for you or I'll be a whatever for you. Yeah. Like I'm just grinning and bearing it and enduring, right? Yes, exactly. So there's so much in that question and so much in the journey. The first piece that I want to give everyone is after you know these five blueprints, the way that you start to play with them and cultivate them, there's four things. So it's learning to feed yourself first and foremost. How are you feeding yourself? Most of us think that we have to masturbate or self-pleasure in the sexual blueprint, but it's not your blueprint. So that's just an important thing is like, if you're an energetic, how are you feeding yourself energetically? How are you playing off your body? How are you playing with energy? Like if you're a sensual, are you yummying? What is it that turns you on in the sensual? Is it erotic dance? Is it putting on some music and some headphones and a blindfold and rolling around in a fur rug? Like feed yourself first. That's it right there. And then you're coming to the full cup as opposed to like feeling empty in your own eroticism. Your pilot light is on. Mm. So then the next piece is, is speaking. So it's not just, you'll notice as I switch between blueprints, my body language changes. I start to do this. Totally. Sensual. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it's this, it's learning not just the words, but the body language, your voice, like how do you play in each one of these in a way that feels good to your body? in a way that feels good to how you are expressing yourself in the world. So the speaking is about this expression, like how are you expressing these blueprints? The third one is healing the shadow aspects. So if you've got a shadow aspect, you don't always have the shadow aspect in your blueprint. 
So like my shadow aspect was in the sensual because the sensual felt so vulnerable. Mm. And so in kinky as well, like how do I surrender? Like that isn't safe because of my own past traumas. I had to heal the shadow aspects before I could then cultivate my, my partners, right? So this is all about you first. This is like feed yourself, learn to express, learn, speak, learn to heal those shadow aspects and the, the traumas and the generations, all the layers we were talking about earlier than this. And then the, the last piece is expanding. And expanding is about now how do I, I do all these things, I, I cultivate all these things. Now how do I fully make it so that that blueprint is now pleasurable to me? That's so good. It's so, it's such an important distinction because I think typically as women, we're the mothers, the givers, the taker care ofers, you know, it's, and so I can imagine so many women leaning into, oh, okay, that's your type. That's what you need. Great. I can, I can do that without doing that work. And it's almost as if you're saying that finding your sexual mismatch is like the greatest gifts because then you get to do all that work. It brings you back to the wholeness that you already are. You remember, oh, I do have kinky aspects. I just push them in mm. a closet somewhere. We also have something we do called erotic persona work, which is help, helping people expand into that. And so like I did seven different erotic personas to help me expand into these different territories. One was a kinky mistress to like expand mm. myself. Where, where in the kinky blueprint do I find pleasure? One was a gorgeous goddess, like you must worship me. So I was playing with energetic and kink and she was a bit sensual too. I did a total sexual like slut. I'm reclaiming like the super slutty aspect. Her name's Puddles because she's <laughs> wet all over. <laughs> she's super so fun. Good. But in it, I also found like the pieces of delight that I'd shoved in a closet. It was like reclaiming this delight of living like... Let's go. Right, it sounds so playful. Yeah, she was super playful. I blame her on my diet now because, you know, I, I didn't eat any sugar. I didn't like I was hardcore. And then when I reclaimed this part of me, it was like, she's like, I'm going to eat French fries and I'm going to eat funnel cakes. And I'm going to eat what feels good. Yes. And so then it was like I had more balance in my life instead of this kind of oh my gosh, if I'm not having like everything perfect and no sugar that I'm going to die, you know, it was, this is fun. Like, let's have a little bit of fun. And my son loved, um, loved it. Not that her erotic bits came out, but like with him, but like we went to an amusement park, which I would have just grouched about and I had a horrible time, but I could cultivate this delight. Mm. Go, Come on. And like, we could run through the park and like find the next ride and, you know, eat the funnel cakes. Yeah. And so he wanted, he wanted that aspect of me because he'd never seen it. Right. And it's such a beautiful reminder that the, the work in the sexual realm shows up in our everyday lives as well. It's not as if they're these kind of That's bedrooms to a house that, yeah, stay closed. Eroticism um, for aliveness. Right. It's like life force energy. Exactly. I really want to get into motherhood and birth. I'm pregnant with my second. I had a pretty traumatic first birth, as I think so many women do. And I was really, really certain I wasn't going to have a traumatic birth, which is, I think, a little bit of why I was so brought to my knees because I was kind of, I think I was really headstrong and I wasn't listening. Like the listening part of me, the softening into motherhood wasn't there. I was really like driving and like, this is where we're going. And so I'm so fascinated to hear 
I know you had an orgasmic birth, like what that means to you. And then what kind of your wish is for women in that, in that birth space. And yeah, like I always talk about, even though my, my first birth was traumatic, it was also like such a big, beautiful lesson that I'm so grateful for. And I've, I've worked through, you know, some of the trauma, I'm sure there's still some that I need to work through, but that's been one of my big goals with this second pregnancy. So for those of us that have experienced birth trauma, like what do you think are some of the ways we can work through it? That great question. And thank you so much for sharing that. Vulnerably mm. feel you on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot in that question and another little goal with this pleasure piece and orgasmic piece is that in consciousness around our sexuality is that we have orgasmic conscious conception, orgasmic conscious birth, not that a C-section can't be an orgasmic conscious birth or, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, so I don't want to make any way that a woman is having birth or giving birth wrong, bad, like there's nothing wrong with that. And then if we go all the way through life to have an orgasmic conscious death, Mm. this idea of from conception to death, that we're living in this conscious and, and orgasmic to me is this, like what we've been talking about, radiance, vibrancy, aliveness, life force, pleasure, peace. And pain can be pleasure. Intensity can be pleasure. Like it can be ecstasy. And right. so, so the first piece in unraveling this is, is our own images, thoughts, emotions, sensations we have around the birth process. Because we have mm. all been shown images of people like, I hate your fucking mouths, like screaming. In the, so true. Like, w- look at what we've been programmed, movies. I mean, my first recollection of ever witnessing birth was, look who's talking with right? Christy Alley and John Travolta. And literally the first two scenes, the first scene, like the rolling opening credits are a sperm going up the vaginal canal talking and then finding this like wafty lazy egg as if like the life force is in the sperm and the egg is just this like weird big thing that it has to find and which isn't true it is completely not true and actually the studies have shown that like the egg pulls yeah yeah the egg like uses which sperm gets to come in she's very active she exactly she's yeah she's like the one you know accepting which is is and choosing and letting in which is ultimately the feminine anyway but then the the second scene is her in a hospital bed like feet in stirrups bright lights masked doctors and she's just screaming bloody hell and it looks like the worst thing that you never want to experience yeah so that's the first goal is watch births that are beautiful. There's a, my mm. teacher, Elena Tanetti Vladimirova. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She has a, a film called Birth into Being. Okay. It's, she was a Russian birth, I call her Russian birth shama, shaman, but she took women to the Black Sea and they had births with whales and, you know, like dolphins. Oh my God, amazing. Like, so you watch these births and you're like, I mean, they're just women just like, there's one, my, my partner's favorite one was this woman. She had built a tank in her living room. And so she's in this tank that's see-through and her kids are around like dancing that she's already had. And like one's burning incense and like they're dancing around and she's just like smiling and she pulls the baby's head out and she's just like, and she just pulls the baby out and she's like here and like showing the kids the baby. So it's like a completely different narrative. So that's one piece. 
The other piece is about pleasure. The second stage of labor is similar to where we go in orgasm. Mm. And when I planned my birth, like we had vibrators, we had nipple play, we had, I got anal massage, I had, which mm. felt amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> like that, because there's so much pressure on your pelvic floor, like to have yeah. my whole pelvis, like massage, we did clitoral touch, like we did all of this to keep me in that state where my oxytocin was flowing. I can't say like it was like amazingly like everything was pleasure. There were moments of intensity. Like there were moments, like it was more like a shamanic initiation journey than it was anything else. But But it's back to your point about what are the narratives that we hold and can there be this narrative that really intense pain and bursting, exactly like bursting past our our edges can actually be pleasurable. Yeah, that we reframe it. Because if you look at it, if everybody just does this exercise right now, if we look at any pain in our body, look, just find something that, you know, as you scan and find something that's just comfortable. Now look at it, take away the label of pain and mm. actually like look at it. And you'll notice, now look at that, like go even deeper. Like, well, what's that? Break it apart. Mm. And what did, you, what did you notice just doing that really quickly? I have had this angry tooth since I got pregnant with my second. And I, just as I did that exercise with you, I got this really loud message that it's just a reminder for self-care because I'm so busy being a mother to a toddler, owner of a business, and now pregnant that I oftentimes put myself last. And for the last three months, I've been probably spending close to an hour on my teeth (laughs) every single day. So half hour morning, half hour night. And I've prioritized it. And so I guess I never thought of it that way until we just did that. But yeah, just this reminder that I need to fill my cup and maybe sitting and doing a half hour of (laughs) teeth cleaning isn't it, but it's a reminder that it's important. Yeah. And then if you look at it from a sensation standpoint, so that was like, so we, I break it down. Those were thoughts that Mm -hmm. arose as you looked at it. Now, maybe there were images that arose or body sensations that arose. So everything is a conglomeration of these four elements. We just label it as pain. Mm -hmm. Images, thoughts, body sensations, and emotions. Now, if you take body sensations and you start to break them apart, you notice it's just a movement of energy. When we close our eyes, where is it even? We can imagine it. There's an image that arises, but where is it really? And so this was an exercise for me with birth to unravel like this thing that we label or the narrative that's been played and go, wait, wait a minute. What are the thoughts, images, body sensations and emotions and let myself go into them into the ecstasy of just energy moving. It's just a wave of energy that's moving. And then I want to say one more thing in terms of healing the trauma, the biggest thing that I see and I worked with postpartum women was scar tissue. Mm. And so getting some scar tissue remediation work because the way that scar tissue can affect the body and the body's opening. And so a lot of people have scar tissue at their cervix. So I do a lot of work with the cervical scar tissue and helping people break that up because that can affect things. Or, you know, you have, you don't know, you know, you fell on your bike when you were two years old or totally, you, you know, you had an infection that created some adhesion in your pelvis. And because we don't have, again, we don't have the conversations as women. We don't, we don't have, like we used to have, I think in ancient times where we would 
work on each other's bodies. The aunties would come and like, you know, we'd help women through this and work on the pelvic floor. And there were practices to help massage and open up and prepare her for birth. And, And there were techniques to break up scar tissue. And so we're reclaiming those things. And I think that it's really important that you in healing either trauma from a previous birth or healing your own birth trauma that you look at scar tissue and you also look at the limbic system of the brain on the physical layer because the limbic system is holding the trauma from when you were born. Mm. And so clearing the limbic system of the trauma from when you were born helps you then in the birthing process. And Elena does that work. I highly recommend anybody who's giving birth or wanting to get pregnant to look into some of the, the work that Elena Tanetti, Vladimirova, again, Birth into Being is her film. And she does also this limbic re-imprint of the brain that was really beneficial for me in preparation for giving birth and doing a home orgasmic birth. Do you feel like your sexuality changed after you became a mother? Oh, yeah. <laughs> In what way? Because oh, there's yeah. obviously the stereotypes, right? That, you know, you're too tired to have like sex becomes deprioritized or you're not a sexual being or to your earlier point, we're now like the safe mom woman that you can love, but you can't lust for. So what was what was your transformation or process like around motherhood? There was the physical body transformation. That was the biggest piece for me. I knew my body very intimately because of what I do. So I was like, I had, I did look at my my cervix regularly. I knew what it looked like, like, and then it was different. You know, I had a morning of like, oh, my cervix is different. <laughs> um, you know, so it was like, there was a physical transition with my body. I also had a birth trauma, a big tear that affected my pelvic floor function. So there was the recovery of all of that postpartum. I couldn't walk for a while. Like it was pretty intense. And luckily, you know, I have resources and people around me who know how to heal that. But when we surveyed, it was over 400 women. I couldn't believe the stories from people, you know, like, oh, just use this numbing cream every time you have sex. It's like, no, I don't want to say cream. (laughs) Quiet desperation. It's crazy. The trauma around birth and sexuality. And then there was all the, I would have orgasms and my breast milk would squirt, you know, kind of type of things. And, you know, so then there were like all the juicier aspects. Like uh, I have a theory that the G spot kind of gets shifted and changed. I work. I love that. And we, we did this research on just like, what are some of the changes? And we talked about like, does the G spot kind of stretch out? So women were more ejaculatory. Mm. after giving birth and then there's some who just step into their sexuality after the birth process so I feel like it's different but you can't buy into the cultural narratives again now you're a mom so now you have to behave a certain way or you're no longer sexy or you're no longer desirable and I definitely fell into that I mean and I was already a sex educator and I fell into he doesn't want me Mm. I'm undesirable because my body has changed or I don't feel sexy or I wanted to have sex. It was the opposite with us where I really had lots of desire after our son was born. Like I wanted Mm. more sex and he didn't want sex. Like he was exhausted. He was tired. He was like, we were co-sleeping. So he was getting like all this estrogen from (laughs) co-sleeping. And and so it really was about him getting his libido stepping into fatherhood. So it's just a transition. It's a change. It's an arising and there's nothing you're stuck with. I want, Anybody who's becoming a new parent to know that. Like, you're stuck with it. It's going to change. Your kids are going to change. They're going to go through different things. I also have a theory that whatever your kids are 
you, whatever you went through at the age your child is, your trauma from that time will rise to be healed if you haven't yet. So, oh, interesting. You grow to go, your your own sexual traumas, right? Will start to like, or different traumas with your parents will start to verbal up. And if you get really conscious to it, you'll notice it. It's like, oh yeah, when I was eleven, that happened, and now my son's eleven, and I'm re- revisiting that thing that happened. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, what a gift children are for. <laughs> <laughs> bringing up like I think I think my birth actually my birth with my first helped me work through a lot of the, my trauma I had around my birth you know I had a lot of judgment around my mother's choice to c-section she chose not to breastfeed and I had a lot of judgment and anger around that and then you know my personal birthing process just brought me so much compassion and empathy for whatever my mom chose she was entitled to (laughs) bless her she did it and she did a beautiful job and so she's entitled to make those decisions for herself but I had so much judgment around it so it's such a what you're saying is this I hear is this beautiful reminder that like as these things show up whether it's through motherhood or our sexuality it's like we're told that if you're not sexually compatible, then move on. You know, we're told that if you, if this hurts in birth, that it's supposed to, and it's really, I think, deciding the narratives that define us instead of feeling like we have to take on the stories that people give us. Yeah. What's your new narrative? That's Mm. one of the questions I really love to ask people after they've had some kind of ecstatic experience or we've done some kind of healing work. Okay. What's your, what's your story now? What's your new narrative now Mm. with this new realization? I like to work on four layers. It's like the physical body layer, the psyche, emotional, psycho-spiritual layer, then the like archetypal transpersonal, like what are, you know, when you have an image of like yourself being burned at the stake or something like that, you know, that's an archetypal transpersonal layer, but could be the generational trauma piece. And then the final is like the the truth. What is the truth here? Mm. And what is the empowering narrative that you're going to tell yourself in any given situation? So powerful. Well, I think this is a beautiful place to ask you about light work and the work that um, you're going to gift all of us so that we can start to shine our lights a little brighter out in the world. Be you. Mm. Remember who you are. That's my, the front door says sex, but that's just a way to (laughs) remember. To get in. Yeah. Right. Just a way to Uh. remember. So be the light that you are. Be the love that you are. You are love and you are loved. And this is unconditional love, just all pointing us back to remembering that. So beautiful. And it ties to something you said earlier that stuck with me and that, we're taught that pleasure is outside of us and it's something we have to go get and then receive. But if in fact we remember that we are it, it's a very different journey. It's more of the peeling back and the, the letting go that you've been speaking to instead of the going out to get. Thank you so much. I just adore you. Thank you for everything that you do and, and put out into the world and for being such a, an empowering voice Thank you. in every way. Thank you. I had such a fun time talking with Jaya. And at the end, she says something like, 
sex is what's on my door, but really what I'm trying to help people do is come home to themselves. I love that so much. And that really is the theme of this conversation is what does it mean to really tune into who we are, who we truly, truly are and get out of our own way. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. If you have a Sakara story that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at sakarastories at sakaralife.com. That's S-A-K-A-R-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at sakaralife.com. Or send us a DM at sakaralife. Don't forget to hit subscribe for the Sakara Life podcast and share this episode with anyone you think needs to hear what we talked about today. And don't forget about the light work. It might feel a little hard, a little uncomfortable, but it's supposed to. The whole idea is that we lean into what's uncomfortable so we all get to shine our lights a little brighter. And we'll see you on the other side, Sakara Lights. Lights.